1: All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti, and I've got my buddies with me again today talking about Wild at Heart. We're, uh, we finished the first three chapters, so hopefully you have gotten the book, you've read, you've, you've uh, gotten past the first three chapters um, because chapter four, five, and six really are some some great meat and potatoes in here. Uh, and, uh, and it starts off uh, with chapter four of The Wound. So uh, Gabe Boyd, Mike Thornberry, Parker Panetti, Uh, are back with me today talking about this. Who wants to start off with just kind of what Chapter 4 and the wound? I was, um, in fact, rereading this um, a month ago um, as a 52-year-old man. Um, I think when I read it the first time in my late 20s, early 30s, um, this part was significant to me, but it's far more meaningful to me now, understanding how important this particular chapter is uh, just as a man who's raising boys. Um, and, and so I, I just, I was um, I was very glad that he went here, even though I think a lot of men's books don't, right? A lot of men's books to me are, you know, here's the four things you need to do to be a man. Here's the five things you need to do a man, right? Wild at Heart um, addresses um, the the wound, the hurt inside of a man that so many times men are uncomfortable going to and talking about and finding ways to get, help and so i was i was thrilled he we went there what about you guys
2: yeah i, I would uh, co-sign what you just said reading it as a uh more mature man who's raising boys you know you see two sides in this wound chapter you see the side of you growing up and mm-hmm. and uh the path that you were put on based on some of the wounds you received and how you responded to them now is magnified as i'm trying to raise men mm-hmm. young men And, man, I've got a huge responsibility not to do the same thing that I may have walked into as I was growing up. So, absolutely, this was more impactful. But
1: at some point, too, and and just from a dad's perspective, at some point reading this chapter, knowing that you're not going to um, raise perfect boys. um, And in some ways, I mean, I think about, you know, Parker sitting across from me. In some ways, I look back at the way that I raised Parker Um, you know, Preston and Campbell, all, all three of the boys, um, you know, so many mistakes being made. Um, But, but I love that, you know, Eldridge isn't going to bring up the wound um, and just kind of leave you there thinking, you know, well, what's the bandaid to cover this gaping wound? And the answer is no, there's, there's a, there's the healing that comes from knowing Christ that's going to ultimately cover this particular wound. And that, that's going to be awesome because I, you know, as a man who has a wound, right and who has produced wounded boys um i don't have to go back and go like oh i wish i'd done this better as a father it's like my my job as a father is to point them to christ that's that's my job as a father right you're you're going to be wounded going to the cross because nobody ever went to the cross unwounded except for christ <laughs> the only perfect man to go there so i i can feel confident right allowing my kids to you know kind of like wrestle with their wounds some of them caused by me which, which is a weird thing to think about, right? Some of them caused by me, um, but yet I can send, if my job as a father is to send them to Christ, then I've I've done everything that I can do to help them, right? Be successful in life. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think that it's really helpful that he continues to pose questions to us mm-hmm. um, because he is gonna help us with some answers. Uh, but even more than that, he's not, like you said, he's not going to give a band-aid answer. He's going to, uh, help us to look introspectively at our own hearts and see where our own wounds are because my wounds are different than, than y'all's wounds. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, at the end of the day, just this leading question from chapter four, uh, of really where does masculinity come from? Mm. And for me, like, that's such a reassuring question, knowing wh- what he's about to talk about, uh, and knowing that again, those wounds aren't the things that define whether I'm masculine or whether I'm a man or not, Uh, that in fact all of us have wounds. Uh, The trick here is that we're going to start to um, unpeel the layers of um, band-aids that we've put over those wounds to try to expose them in order to help them heal them. And again, we can't heal them ourselves. Uh, It's only by God's grace that we are healed by any of these wounds. Uh, And so uh, just starting with a question of where does it come from, He's going to outline lots of different areas of where masculinity can come from despite the wounds that we all have. Uh, and so, uh, it's really helpful as he starts to say things like a boy learns who he is and what he's got from a man or a company of men. Mm. Uh, and so just the fact that we're sitting here in, in a room as a group of men talking about this just continues to beg this question of, uh, man, if we're listening to podcasts or we're reading books about what this looks like, uh, surely there's some good things to find in here, uh, within the
1: company of men. Amen. Amen. Parker, what are your thoughts?
4: Uh, yeah, I like the idea, um, attacking boys who do not know their men. And it says, um, he said that until a man knows he's a man, he will forever be trying to prove he is one mm-hmm. while at the same time shrink from anything that might reveal he is not. Um, and the idea is a lot of boys do not know how to get to manhood, um, whether they don't have, um, a, a man in their life. Um, but it says plainly that masculinity is bestowed. And so um, they're going to find it from something, and they're going to strive to look for it from something, and they're going to avoid any area that will decrease their view of their manhood, uh, which is a very scary thought for boys who are trying to find their masculinity in something that isn't life-giving, that isn't, um, at the end of the day, um, Christ-centered, and that they will continue to search for it. And so just a huge responsibility for men to bestow masculinity to other boys. So, uh. Yeah,
1: yeah. As, as it goes into Chapter 5, because one of the things, um, sometimes we feel like um, women can bestow manhood, right? And he, he writes this um, on page 93. He says, Femini- femininity can arouse masculinity, um, but it can't reproduce it. Um, and so um, he says this, and this is where I think he, he just he really gets in. Uh, but he says, so this is why so many men secretly fear their wives. She sees him as no one else does, sleeps with him, knows what he's made of. If he has given her the power to validate him as a man, he has also given her the power to invalidate him as well. And I think that's one of the scariest places to be as a man, right, is to have a woman, right, as your spouse, as your partner, where you are vulnerable enough to allow them to speak truth into your life. Um, Because, right, I mean, she she knows who you are and, and, you know, if, if you've got it or not, right, the masculinity part. Um, but the hard part about that is, is a woman's not going to, um, you know, bestow masculinity on you, right? So, so that's where you know that idea. And he's he's not going to point us in a sense just to other men. He's going to point us ultimately to Christ to get that bestowed upon us. And,
2: and I love the the point you're making here, and the and the stair steps we've got. You know, where am I? Who am I listening to mm-hmm. to validate my manhood? Yeah. To some extent, that's a charge back to me to say why am i not breathing life and words of love and affirmation into my sons yes you know i i can default to be a drill sergeant mm-hmm. instead of being a coach a drill sergeant's only worried about your obedience a coach is worried about your maturing mm-hmm. uh so are my words driving that uh sense of who my son is by you know speaking something positive for their benefit, or I'm just worried about their obedience. Because if I give them a view that I'm just going to tear them down by what they're not doing with my words, how are they ever going to see God lift them up and look past what they can't do yeah. and look towards what they sh- what they should accomplish through him? So it, there, there was also a sense in, in these chapters that, hey, I've got a responsibility to speak Ephesians 4.29 into my boys. No corrupting talk out of my mouth. Something that's going to edify them and lift them up. Because how many men say, I just wish my dad told me I love me. Yeah. He was
1: proud of me. Yeah. And I think that goes back to Gabe's comment about identity. Yeah. How often we we focus on the performance of our boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hey, you did a great job out there today, right, on the field, right? You did a great job. I mean, Gabe, you played baseball, yeah. right? I mean, you know, hey, I went, you know, four for five. You know, awesome. You know, you're successful because you did this. Not... You're successful because you're my son and I love you. Right. Right. And I think, you know, how, how many movies could we probably list off of here, right, of, you know, the the boy who didn't get the affirmation from his dad, <laughs> who just constantly kept seeking that empty hole, right, that the, that the father never filled. And I think- when, when you get that, I think some people are going to go back and they're going to feel this wound of saying, well, my dad never did this. My dad never filled in my dad Right. And what elders is going to tell you is here's the deal. It's, it's going to be your heavenly father is the one who does this, not your earthly father. Your earth, earthly father can, can help with this by pointing you in the w- right way to God's love and affirmation for you. Uh, but it's, it's not going to be, you know, Oh, my dad didn't do it. I'll never get it. Or my dad did a great job of it. Therefore I don't need gods. Right. That's, right that you're missing the point of this of this particular book that's another book right, right. this particular book is saying men uh, we can do a better job with our sons of affirming them in their identity and who god has created them to be but ultimately you want to connect them to god you that's want right. them to know what God has created them for, and that's going to be super important.
3: Well, and, and one of the things that he mentions in here is, is the effect of these wounds. And so exactly what you're saying is that when we become so performance or purpose-driven mm-hmm. in order to find our identity, what it does is it it breeds a culture of really um, self-centered, self mm-hmm. um, independent men who only care about what's good for them because they're in search of what masculinity uh, is so that they can prove that they are enough to be called or deemed a man. Uh, And and so he, he makes this, um, he tells this story about between him and his wife and, and there's these really rough patch of the first 10 years of their marriage. Mm -hmm. And, and and he says that, you know, if you ask my wife, how, how is your marriage going? She would say, it's fine. Uh, but if you really dug in more, uh, you would get out of her. um, It's fine, but I'm not sure that he needs me. And Mm -hmm. and so even with a statement like that, I just just wrote, man, I wonder how many other people feel this way. And and it's not just for married men, but I think it's for all men is – this goes back to finding our masculinity in a company of men, right? It's this affirmation, sometimes from our dads, uh, sometimes just from our friends or from other people that we know who say that they see certain things in us. Um, and, and so when he when he says things like... Um, That was my vow that I don't need anyone. Uh, After all, the wound was deep and unhealed and the message it brought me seems so final. I am on my own. And and it's such a sad reality within our culture is that men think that they're on their own because they've created this bubble around themselves because they're in search of something so much greater. uh, When it, at the end of the day, like, it, it's already in you. Right. Um, like, Christ has already done the work for you. Uh, and so this this idea of having to perform in order to get something or to find an identity, uh, man, this is exactly where the enemy wants us. He'll get into the enemy and the mm-hmm. wounds and, and the attacks uh, that he'll bring. But at the end of the day, uh, man, w- until we start to realize that we can't do this, we shouldn't be doing life on our own, um, that we need a company of men around us mm-hmm. uh, in order to flourish, in order to use our strength for the good of others, uh, this is this is where we have to get to.
1: Yeah. And to speak truth. I mean, I think that's the other thing is um, there have been many conversations that I've had um, with men uh, that their wives have said the same thing to them over and over and over again. Um, and there's just, there's just something about um, your wife telling you something or a woman telling you something that just apparently doesn't register, but it takes another man to call you out and to Uh, to call you up into manhood and into masculinity of what it means. And so I think that's an important um, reminder to us is to, is to place ourselves around um, men who are walking with the Lord to call out those areas that they see in our lives that are not consistent with who we need to be.
3: Yeah. I I think too, though, that there's also an immense amount of grace that we need to have towards one another Mm -hmm. uh, with the understanding that every one of us is wounded. Right. Um, And and so uh, while we're, while we're, speaking truth, we're still speaking it in love too, right? In in an effort to be a brother in Christ uh, or or a sister in Christ towards other people, understanding, man, we've all got our junk. Like we've all been wounded in some form or fashion throughout the course of our life. Uh, And so how, how do we continue to display grace um,
2: while while we're calling up, while we're encouraging, yeah, C.S. Lewis has this great quote that we can apply to our, our journey here, where he says, "Hey, once I realized you were hurting the same way I was hurting, mm. then friendship began. Because now we're, in, you know, now I'm ministering to you in the same area I was wounded, and now we're pursuing Christ in the resolution. But uh, we are so wired to not tell anybody that, hey, I'm, you know, whether I present or not on the outside, I am all jacked up on the inside." Yeah that that refusing to admit we're hurt just refuses the chance for the healing yeah. uh there's no point going to a physician if nothing's wrong
4: that's right yeah parker you've got something yeah and i think that comes from just like – he talked about like a lot of movie scenes hmm. um, where men get – he said get an arrow into the chest and they just break it off and keep fighting. And it's this idea that we can <laughs> um, minimize, he says, or even deny the wound. Yeah. Um, and that's you know every guy's dream in an action movie is a guy gets shot and he keeps going and saves the day. Um, but what he said was super important. Wait, okay. I,
1: I, can I just tell you? Yeah. I, I laugh at this because um, ro- didn't Roosevelt, like Teddy Roosevelt, literally got shot during a speech? Right. And, and kept on giving the speech 40, yeah. uh, like a 45 minute speech. Um, and, you know, I, so that is right. I mean, the, the men that we hold up as like our example of what true men are, um, sometimes, you know, they, they may not be great men, but it's like that that, you know, epitome of, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, he did this or something like that. And, and we we forget um the, you know, that may be one aspect of masculinity, right, is that, you know, um, that ability to, to fight through difficult times, right? But that's not all masculinity is. That's not all it means to be a man is that, you know, you broke off the arrow and you kept going, right? There's, there's more to it than
4: that. So I, Parker, I think
3: there's a difference between toughness and stupidity.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that that saying of that rub some dirt on it. Yeah. And um, he says the only thing more tragic than the tragedy that happens is the way that we handle it. And so if, if you have a serious physical wound and you rub dirt on it, yeah. that's actually going to be more tragic than the wound itself. And yeah, he, stupid. Yeah, yeah. stupid. Well, goes, I think back to,
1: you know, when C- <laughs> Campbell, right. Our youngest um, was playing baseball, slid into home plate. Don't ask. Um, you know, the plate was raised or whatever he ended up breaking his kneecap. Um, and, you know, he, he got up, the knees all swollen, um, and we're like, Hey, you'll, you'll be okay. You know, and he had to go up to bat again. And we're like, you know, he's like, I can't walk. I'm like, well, don't worry about it. Just hit the ball really far, hit it out, hit it out. And you, you can know, walk yeah, around the bases. Yeah. Or hey, well, how old was he? First grade. Yeah. Right. So he <laughs> goes, up, Yeah. keep playing, <laughs> keep playing. Right. And you take him in a couple of days later and like, yeah, you know, he's got a chip off of his, you know, kneecap. And like, Oh, I guess that was pretty bad. So we've all had stories like that of just stupidity. Right. Just, you know, you keep on going when you should have stopped. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. That's a good reminder to us. I
4: mean, he echoes um, repetitively that, um, and these are on page 106, he says, but a wound that goes unacknowledged and unwept is a wound that cannot heal. A Mm. wound you've embraced is a wound that cannot heal. And a wound you think you deserved is a wound that cannot heal. Oh, man. And so, I mean, anytime you do not say it is a wound, then you will not do the proper analysis and treatment to heal that wound. And so, I mean, you see that a lot with men. Later in life, um, his wounds get covered up, and then you forget about those wounds. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. spoken from, from a 22 year old so interesting already seeing it you're like, uh-huh. because so I,
3: I think along that point as you keep going in that in that chapter mm-hmm. um, he starts to there's two ways to respond to the wound too right it, it's yeah. man I'm so messed up I can't believe this I'll never amount to anything right. it's this very victim mentality uh, he writes in here like God why did you let this happen to me God why won't you just fill in the blank of whatever it is right where where you're you you've fallen victim to an unjust God who has cursed you with all of these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just wrote in the margins of my book, like, man, these wounds, um, when dealt with properly, what they do is they change our perspective. Uh, And so he says, what if instead of playing the victim, we started asking bigger questions like, God, what are you trying to teach me here? Uh, what are the issues in my heart that are trying that you're trying to raise up in me uh, what is it that you want me to see uh, what are you asking me to let go of yeah. and so all of a sudden like these wounds it become like mistakes when we were kids right I mean one of the great things that I always tell my my kids and other parents is like sometimes we have to let our kids fail I'm not saying that we're purposely wounding kids okay um, but sometimes the best teacher is failure the best teacher is mistakes sure um, in this case like being able to 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 look at and diagnose a wound for exactly what it is, whether we think it's severe or just topical, um, man, being able to address it with the right perspective is going to be really, really important as we continue to move through the book and start to diagnose what's wrong in our own hearts uh, and how do we move forward in that uh, as we seek out what masculinity, what true manhood is.
1: And as opposed to playing the victim, understanding that God allows... Um, wounds to happen to us uh, and one of the greatest production or things that is produced from a wound is humility uh, to place us in that position where we are not um, all that right we are we are not uh, the king of the castle god is and, yeah. and you know I, th- I think of paul when, when paul asked for the you know the thorn in his flesh to be removed and god said no no i mean it's weird i'm going to keep you wounded <laughs> because it keeps you humble and reliant upon my grace right and that's not a bad place to be right that's not a bad place to be to to be reliant upon God where you don't have anything in your life um, that is a difficulty for you is a struggle for you and I I think you know so often as men uh, we run from the struggles we run from the difficult areas because that that demonstrates our weakness Um, but you know when when Paul's writing that in our weakness God's made strong Right? that God is going to be sufficient for whatever weakness we have if we'll trust and rely on him. And that's where we don't want to do it, because I want to rely on myself. So I, I don't want any wounds, I don't want any weaknesses, because I want to be able to manage life on my own, but that removes the humility, brings in the pride, right? and that's what puts us before right a God who says, hey, listen, I, I oppose the proud <laughs> and give grace to the humble. Which category would you rather be in?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Every time I've tried to fix an error on my own, mm-hmm via any kind of self-medication, which is I'm going to try harder, I'm going to find a substance, I'm going to get involved in a hobby, any any kind of self-administered medicine has always failed. And we haven't normalized, hey, why don't we deal with the issue, the root cause, versus just gloss over the remedy and double down our efforts. Because you're right, if I could control the outcome instead of focus on the obedience, I would do it every time.
1: Amen.
3: Amen. Yeah. One thing that I just want to I just want to throw out there. I know we're probably running out of time on this, but uh, as as you're reading through this book, like there, there's such a. Uh, emphasis, uh, especially within culture of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even when I said that with that opening question of where does masculinity come from, uh, if you listen to the culture, you're, um, you will hear masculinity uh, is a bad thing. Right. Uh, men acting like men is a bad thing. Um, and, and at the end of the day, hopefully as you're reading this book, you're you're, you're finding that it's not. Right. Um, that it's actually how God wired us to be masculine. Um, but I did want to throw out the topic of, of of women, uh, or dating or girls or anything, depending on your age. Uh, because I, I think anytime that we start talking about toxic masculinity, it's how do these wounds start to come out as we try to overcompensate for mm-hmm. the wounds that we're carrying? Mm-hmm. How do they start to, um, come out of us and our actions towards especially women, right. uh, whether we're dating or whether we're married or whatever that looks like for you. Uh, And he does, I think, a really good job here uh, in in this uh, sixth chapter. Um, And and he just says some things uh, that I found really, really helpful just to think about uh, how he's trying to curb that view of masculinity uh, within our culture. And he says that a man needs a much bigger orbit than a woman, right? That so many people, so many men out there trying to find their identity in a a woman. Um, and, And so he says he needs a mission, he needs a life purpose. He needs to know his name. These are all things that he's talked about in the previous three chapters. Mm. He says, only then is he fit for a woman. Now, you think about that. Until this man has figured out who he is in Christ and the purpose that Christ has, the mission that Christ has for his life, only then is he ready to take on a woman. He says, for only then does he have something to invite her into. Ooh, wow. Uh, which I thought was really mm-hmm. helpful yeah. is that yeah. like, as I engage into a relationship with a girl, uh, I'm, I'm inviting her into something. I'm not inviting myself into whatever she's doing, right. it, which is, I think where we get this bend towards this feminine look on masculinity, yeah. right? Is yeah. that we've let the, the women lead the way instead of saying, no, no, let me invite you into where God's taking me and I'm going to lead you as he leads me. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, a man does not go to a woman to get his strength but instead he goes to her to offer it. And I think with that statement right there, like he kills all this idea of toxic masculinity, uh, that I'm not using my strength in order uh, at, from my wounds. I'm not using my strength to take out um, my confusion on a woman, but right. rather, man, I'm using the strength that God has given me, and I'm offering it to her in order to provide and protect uh, and to lead in these different areas of life, depending on where our relationship goes. Yeah.
1: That's 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 good. Let that sink in for a while. So that's uh, chapters four, five, and six. Um, we're going to start uh, chapter seven, eight, and nine in our next episode. So keep on reading, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, TrainingForManhood.com. That's Training the Number Four Manhood. Com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.